The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Today I am speaking about the patriarchs. And just to give you a little background, there's a bit in Jacob's life. The whole thing reads like a novel. And you get to see the people and the characters involved in what God is doing. Imagine for a moment that everything you've worked for for 20 years is being threatened to be taken away. You have thousands of cattle. You have all this money saved up. You have all this wealth. And your father-in-law is threatening to take it all again for about the sixth time. And you're frustrated. You have this family issue going on, this tension that's building. Even the brothers of your wives are getting angry. And you're the one who's the victim. This is Jacob. And so Jacob finally says, we got to get out of here. And God wakes him up in the night after he gets ripped off the last time. In fact, what happened is he, he, he went to Laban, his father-in-law, and said, hey, I got to go back to my homeland. I've got to go back to the land of my fathers. And he said, oh, well, let's work out a deal here. Yeah, trusting man. And so Jacob said, okay, let me have all the black, the spotted, and the speckled sheep, and they're all going to be mine. The ones that breed will be mine. This is right. And he goes, oh, fine, fine, fine. That night, the father-in-law has all his sons go through all the flocks, take all those sheep that belong to him, to Jacob, and send them off three days' journey. And you wake up the next morning, and everything you worked for and agreed to the night before is gone. How would you feel? Betrayed by your own family. Some of you know what that's like. And you can touch base a little bit with what Jacob is going through. And that night, because God is kind and merciful and he's got a plan for Jacob, he says to him, go, arise, it's time to leave. And Jacob goes to his, his, his wives, Laban's daughters, and says, we got to get out of here. And the girls say, yeah, he's taking everything. We need to go now. And there's kids involved, there's sheep involved, there's all kind of engineering of this massive crowd of people. And they get up in this huge caravan through the wilderness from the Mesopotamian area, and they're headed back to an area where he's got to face a brother who doesn't like him. <laughs> kind of not a good situation. Family issues run amok. But if you can imagine him going up over these hills with large caravans of people, he's got little kids. Reuben, the oldest of the 12 uh, fathers of the faith, of the, of the sons of Israel, he could only be about 12, maybe 13 at this point. And he's getting woken up and said, we're going, what's going on? Ah, we're moving, we're going on. And everything, everything is moving to a direction that they've never been to before. They're going to a land they've never seen. Once again, they're on this journey. And so this is where Jacob's at. I want to go through the whole timeline here in a minute just to give you a picture. But God is doing something in Jacob's life, in this mess that he has with his family, in the mess of his life. God is coming through. And that's what these three patriarchs speak to us. There is no mess 
that is too difficult for God. He has a plan. He can override it, and he can speak to your heart and say, this is what you need to do. Go arise. I've got something. If you could pull up the timeline, I'm going to quickly move through this. Jacob was born in an answer to his father's prayer. In fact, Pastor Jonathan mentioned last, last week that this might have been the first set of twins ever. They didn't have an ultra scan. You know, they didn't have, uh, we, that's what we call in the U.S., you call it something else, uh, sonogram or ultrasound. ultrasound. Okay, it is the same thing. Um, didn't have that, but God speaks to them, says there's two nations inside your womb, and the older will serve the younger. And that came to pass. Out comes Jacob, grabbing Esau's heel, literally the supplanter, the one who's going to take over. He doesn't have the right to it, but he's taking the right because God has even spoken it. In the womb, he's grabbing his heel. Then it seems almost through human means he tries to accomplish God's purpose. And he deceives his brother out of both his inheritance and his blessing. He takes both. And this is the heart of the problem. Esau and him are not getting along very well at this point. Even though mama got involved, mama kind of got it a little sticky, huh? She gets involved and says, you got to do this. I'll set it up. I'm going to make you look hairy. You know, I'm going to make you smell bad just like your brother. Real love going on there. So it's coming to this point where mama hears, "Uh uh-oh, Esau is planning on killing my baby boy. Uh Uh-uh. We got to work out a plan here and get him out of here. She goes to Isaac and says, Isaac, I hate these local women. I want somebody from another country. Please go send them to the USA and get them somebody who's really, really nice. Get them get a woman that's really great. Get them somebody from my hometown. And so this plan is worked out. And Jacob goes in the night and he has his first encounter with God Almighty. First encounter. If we turn to 28, is 28 up there? This is when Jacob is leaving to get away from his brother who wants to kill him. And in the night, he wakes up and he sees a stairwell, a stair, a ladder from heaven to earth. What is this? My life is a mess. I'm running from family. I can't be with mom and dad. And here comes God. He sees angels ascending and descending. Never seen such a thing before. I would love to see that. But this is his first major encounter with God Almighty. He is establishing the covenant with Jacob now. He's establishing who he is with Jacob. And then at the top of the stairs, which is often missed, is it's not just angels, but it says at the very top of the stairs is God Almighty standing. He sees God Almighty standing on the top of this in this amazing flow of angels and things. What is this? And God speaks to him. If we turn to just 28 very quickly. If we start at verse um, 10 through 22, you see God's promise to him and then how Jacob responds. If you have your Bibles... Or if you have your phone, you can turn to 28 in Genesis, because this is God's first encounter with this man named Jacob, first major encounter. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. That's where Laban and all his new troubles are waiting. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. 
Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Verse 12. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and on top of it, it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father. Not just any God. I am the same one who spoke to your dad. All the stories you heard about Isaac, all the stories you heard about, I'm the same one. And the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Now it's to note here that this is near Bethel. This is the same territory in in Genesis chapter 12 that Abraham first establishes an altar and calls on the name of the Lord. Already through spiritual warfare or prayer or worship, this land has already been shaken and welcomed. God has been welcomed into this territory. And so here he lays down in this covering, in this territory that has already been contended for, and he has this encounter. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. He has no kids. He has no wife. He has no nothing at this point. His life is in danger, and he's going to another threatening place. He has no idea what's before him. And God says, your offspring. Wow. No hope of any of these things at this point. Your offspring. Take that in. What a God. In the midst of hopelessness, he can deliver one right word. I'm going to just take a break here. There was a point where God spoke to me in a beautiful way. And this is a father thing, so I'm going to just share it on Father's Day. I was in a worship sermon, and it was a, the sharing of the story was of the East African revival. And it's one of the greatest revivals that have ever swept the earth. It's not written that much about, but it swept all of East Africa and beyond. And Uganda raised up out of that. And many of the other nations were swept by Christianity in the, in the 1940s and 50s. And I was listening to this story. And we had a worship time after. I said, God, I could give you my heart. I give you my life. If you could use me like you use those two men who were insulted, who were called the men who cried out the banana plantation because they were just crazy crying out to God. If you could use me like that, two unknown men, and just rise me up to do your will, I'll take it. And he said to me, clear as could be, one of my life encounters, you will be teaching for two more years. It was beautiful. I said, you're calling me to join you. You're calling me to be part of your work. You're adjusting me to come into your purposes. And I was thrilled. A year or so down the road, I was nervous as all get out. (laughs) All I've ever done is teach. I've been a teacher all my life, and now... I'm going to be out on the streets. I don't have a job. I don't have that much savings. I don't have anything. I'm going to be destitute, and everybody's going to see it. And my daughter, who's only like six years old at the time, no, I guess 10, she'll be out on the street. Or she'll have to go live with her mom. And how are you going to get glory from that, God? How are you? And then I began to just cry out to God because his voice was so clear I couldn't get away from it. And in my weeping, He stopped me again. And he said this, fathers, 
the greatest gift you could give your daughter is to show her a man that follows after me. Oh my God. He answered the concern of my heart. And I, I won't go into the rest of the story, but he prepared me for the next battle that was coming with those words. And I was completely shielded by the grace of God. He gave me hope that whatever God walks me through, he's going to take care of my daughter. He's a better father than me. He knows. God knows the word that will get you through any circumstance. If you call upon him, if you give him time, if you take the moment to settle down, put your head on a rock if you have to, even if it's uncomfortable, listen to him. He has the word that will get you through any circumstance. And not just get you through, I was able to rise up. I will tell the story. Okay. <laughs> the next week, I didn't realize, because I'd walked this out for two years, it was coming to the end of that time. Have I shared this story before? You're, okay. My family calls on the phone one day. It's my sister who loves me, absolutely loves me. And people who love you can be the amplifier to your flesh. Okay, I just put that out there. <laughs> They love you. They can be the worst for you when you're walking with God. Just so I'll hold it up. But out of absolute total love, she began saying, you know, I heard dad told me, because I told my father first, let him kind of get through it. And then you're leaving teaching and you don't have a job. Yes, that's right. <laughs> what about this? Mm, I know that's an issue. Uh, what about this? Uh, yeah, that's an issue too. Uh, uh, what about this? And at this point, I'm kind of like, oh my goodness, this is getting lengthy. And she says, well, me and your brother have been talking. Oh, this is an intervention. <laughs> we went and talked to your old pastor, and he said God never calls anybody out of a job without giving them another one first. This really is an intervention. Oh my. And I started to snicker like, this is kind of funny. <laughs> like, like they're calling me and they're trying to stop me. Uh, and I said, you, I haven't talked to Tom in ages. I'm sh he knows, yeah, don't tell me what Tom would say. Don't tell me, because I know Tom. Um, he's a, my former pastor. Um, and then, because it didn't get through to me, because the word was so clear that what I was doing was going to bless my daughter. It was going to take care of everything. He had everything under control. She finally, in upset language, because she loves me, said, don't you know you have a daughter? And at that point, I kind of just like, oh my goodness, what do you do with this? And I said, Maureen, God spoke to me just the other day. He's got this. I don't know where it's all going to end up, but he's got this. He said, the greatest gift I could give my daughter is not wealth, is not riches, is not security, is not the, all the things that I think. It's to show her a man that follows after me. And Maureen, I can't get away from the voice of God. You know I've had the same job for 16 years. I don't change easy. I'm not, I'm not flighty. I don't go all over the place. This was God, and I have to follow it. And that quieted her for some time. But, but it was love. And I have to say that if my sister ever listens to this, it was love that they were pursuing me. Um, so here is Jacob. And God says to him, on the, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. And he has none of those things. He's just a son traveling out in the wilderness, possibly by himself, maybe a couple servants. But he's all by himself, seemingly, in this vast world. And God comes to him and says this. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. 
and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Sometimes we can get really lost by what's around us. Jacob's looking at the wilderness and desert and sand, and he sees no future. And God's talking about a whole different point of view. He sees something entirely different. God says, your children are going to fill the earth. You are going to be a blessing to every nation, north, south, east, and west. Your father has spoken these same words in the New Testament to you personally. The New Testament is riddled with loving words that say you have hope and a promise that he will never give up on you, that he will never forsake you. God will never pack his bags and leave, in other words. He doesn't. He's going to stick it out with you. And he has a plan for you. He knows exactly what he wants to do with you. He loves you that much. Verse 15. Behold, I'm with you. The same words he uses at the end of Matthew when he gives a great commission. I'll be with you to the end. I'll be with you to the end. You're really not alone. You look alone. You feel alone. This is terrible circumstances. I am with you. That's the most important promise of them all. And will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is no, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, that's God's part. Now, look at what happens next. This is Jacob's response. This is how he says, this is his first encounter with God Almighty. He's probably heard the stories from Isaac. He's heard the stories from Abraham, and now the promise is coming to him. Grandpa, daddy, and now to him. He has a hope and a future and a promise. And look at his response as he rises up in faith. Verse 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear. See where he's really concerned? He's even concerned about clothing. His vision hasn't even raised up to being a blessing to all the nations of the earth so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. He says, I'm going to submit to you as my God. I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to make this a house. I'm going to establish a place for you because you're worthy of it. And I am even going to give my maintenance to maintain this house. This is important. I agree that you're God most high. God cares for us. Now, I've jumped out of the, uh, the, um, out of the timeline. If we could go back to the timeline quickly. In, verse, in chapter 29, he gets to Haran. And I'm only going to get a small section of this message done today. But 
he gets into Haran, and he's trapped there. If you remember back in the day when Abraham wanted to get a wife for his son Isaac, he said to the servant, don't send my boy back to that land. Don't send him back. What By all means, don't send him back. You go in his stead and bring back a wife for him. Don't. I think Abraham carried this idea that there are certain places that his son couldn't go because it would want to hold him. There are certain places we cannot go if we want to have victorious life. There are certain things we can't get involved in if we want to rise up into the promises of God. In each of us, it's a different place. Maybe it's sometimes even in the chatter of people who love us. We can't listen to the things that hold us back all the time. We have to surround ourselves with people who are going to challenge us to follow after God. We have to be in a good environment. We have to set an environment in our home where God is praised and honored and worshiped. We have to set the environment around us so that we can thrive. Plants don't thrive in any environment. They need certain things. If you put it in a desert, it will dry. You must provide the right environment. Your soul needs the right environment. We've got to choose that. But here we see... Jacob being placed in this environment that is away from the promised land that was given to him. And what we see is it tries to hold him. Seven years he works for his wife, and then he gets another woman. He wakes up after, in the bridal chamber, and he finds, this is Leah. This is not mine. Okay, here's Laban again. How about you work seven more years, and I'll give you Rachel. Oh, great. He's a good father-in-law, huh? And then he has to work six more years for the livestock. And then you find out that Laban ripped him off in a lot of other ways, too. Six times he changed his wages, or ten times he changed his wages, and then the last big ripoff happened, too. But he's being held there. He can't get out of the land. It seems almost as if darkness is holding him there. Darkness, when you agree with it, when you go to it, when you go to the places you know you can't go, it will hold you longer than you wanted to stay and take you deeper than you wanted to go. You can't dabble with darkness. An overlaying truth here, too, in this, is that you see Abraham deceived Abimelech and the ruler of the land by saying his wife wasn't his. And God still blessed him. And it seemed almost as if, like I said two weeks ago, that God almost overlooked this sin. It didn't punish it the way it deserved. And there is a psalm that says, God doesn't punish us as we deserve, but it's still rebellion, and there's still consequences to it. And it seems to have been passed on to Isaac because Isaac does the exact same thing. He goes into a land and lies about his wife. And then here we have Jacob. Oh, my. Talk about sin coming to full fruition. He's lied to his brother. He's lied to... Um, other cases, I'm trying to think of the other ones, but he has lied and deceived. And then if you see later on, at the end of his story, right at the time when his mother dies, or his wife dies, and his father dies, in the same chapter, just after that we find out that his own sons come to him and say, oh, Joseph, your little boy got eaten by wolves. And the weight of grief comes over him that he cannot recuperate, it seems. So the deception comes back to him. Because God is merciful to us in our sin. He calls it rebellion to his ways. It doesn't mean we can treat it lightly. 
We do reap what we sow if we don't repent. If we don't cut it off, it can be passed on to those around us too. If you see something you're not supposed to be involved in, don't treat it lightly. Oh, that's just the way my father was. No! You're redeemed. You're called out of darkness into the wonderful kingdom of light. You have a new father. Take your inheritance. Don't neglect it. Maybe my father lied. Maybe my father cheated. Maybe my father didn't treat my mother well. Maybe this and that. That is not going to be me. I am not going to say, ah, that's just the way we are. That's just my family. That's just my culture. That's just the way things are done here. No. There is a cutting, a breaking away of it so that you can experience the life God has for you and you can truly take the promised land. I know that's a little heavy but it overlays a truth of what, he's, what God is saying through these men. He's with them even through the darkest hours. He's speaking words of hope when things are bad. He's coming through when you and I wouldn't come through for him. He loves his people. He has a plan, and he wants to demonstrate to us and to everybody around us what happens to a person who follows after God. That's your inheritance. You have the right and the ability in the Holy Spirit to rise up and say, no, this is the life God gives. This is it. I'm going to wrap it up here in just a second. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says... You are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Two things I want to say in closing. One of the areas that God wants us to dwell in, one of the things that needs to be in our environment, in our territory, is forgiveness. I heard a counselor say that many forms of mental illness, the root cause is unforgiveness. It does reap bad fruit. You can say, well, you don't know what they did to me. If you take the sum total of your sins and put them before God and realize that he died on the cross to pay for all your sins, not one event, surely you can begin the process of laying down the hurts that have come against you. You need to. You need to. This isn't a light matter. Forgiveness has bad fruit. Un I mean, unforgiveness has bad fruit. You don't want to pass that down to family. How many people know somebody who holds on to grudges and doesn't let them go? Okay, second question. Are they happy people? How much time do you want to spend with them? There is fruit that's produced. And Jesus, when he said about cutting off branches, that's one of the branches we need to cut off. To thrive in an environment that God designed for us, the promised land he died to give us, includes forgiveness. And if there is unforgiveness, please don't lighten it. It matters to your soul. Forgive. We'll pray about that in a moment. And the other is, the scriptures clearly call us not to grumble and complain. And say, I'm, I'm going to testify because I can grumble and complain. Uh, when four little girls are running around your house and everything's a mess, I can grumble and complain. I can grumble and complain when they're really good, too. Um, but... You think, huh, there's not really much consequences. You know, it's not a big deal. I'm just grumbling. I'm just, I got a right to this. You see what's happening here? Da-da-da-da-da. 
And I know most of you can relate to this because we all grumble at some point. But God says don't. Why does he say this? I realized in prayer one day when we were worshiping, I couldn't praise like I had before. I couldn't worship. I was like, ah, why is this? Why is this? And then I realized I spent the whole week grumbling and complaining. I didn't spend it in thankfulness like Jacob did. Like, oh, wow, you'll be my God. This will be your house, and I'm going to maintain your house. This is great. I grumbled. And so when it came time to praise, that well in my heart had been shut, the well of thankfulness, and it wasn't flowing. That's one of the consequences of grumbling and complaining. Now, I'm not treating your pain lightly. I know there's major hurts and pains people carry. People are doing things, not just done, but are doing things. How do you get your heart to a place of gratefulness in the midst of terrible things? This is my request for you. If you take anything away today, take time with God Almighty. Make a little bit of time in your schedule. Put your head on a rock. Make yourself a little bit uncomfortable and let him speak to you. If, it doesn't, if nothing happens, do it again. Talk to a friend and let his word come to you. Spend time in the Bible. Read some Psalms and see what God doesn't bring forth to help you through. He can deliver us to a heart of praise so that we're not carrying the heaviness. We're not carrying the inability to worship. We're not carrying the inability to pray. We're rising up as the people of God and the atmospheres around us are changing and people who are witnessing are saying, they've got something. They're not all together. They're still a mess, but they've got something. I had somebody tell me that one time. It was a real word of encouragement. He just happens to have been an Englishman, doesn't go to this church. He heard a sermon I delivered at Focal Point Church, and he said, you know, you really encouraged me. I listened to your message, and I said, that boy is messed up, but God is bringing him through. I thought, oh, great. (laughs) I literally wrote it in one of my Bibles. I thought, I got to keep this one. (laughs) But not that everything's perfect, but the light of Christ begins to shine. I know people who serve with such a heart that you look at them and say, oh, Christ is gleaming through them in service. I know people who love and take care of other people and they say, there is something about that. I know people who speak a word, just, oh, right. And I said, ooh, that's touched by God. There's, There's something of truth on that. We all have something to shine. Let's make our environments. Let's get back to the promised land. We're not supposed to stay in captivity. We're not supposed to stay away. We are going to be delivered to a a new life that he promises. But we have to choose it. We have to reject sin. We have to choose forgiveness. We have to choose not to grumble and complain. And most of all, we have to spend time with our God and hear his voice to lead us through. Amen? Amen? Bless you all.